Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2021, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast. afternoon listeners you are listening to the dogs program on 3cr 855 am 3cr digital and 3cr.com.org.au sorry and uh yeah you're listening to the dogs the australian council for the defense of government schools uh jean can't be with us today but uh sorrel and maddie are here and i'm dale and we shall muddle ahead uh First things first, we're up to uh, press release number 898, and uh, let's just get stuck in. Uh, Press release 898, public schools serve the public good. That's why they alone deserve taxpayer support. America is not far down the track of the church-state entanglement, as is Australia, although the Trump Supreme Court may change all that. But as in Australia, there are those who are concerned to preserve public schools and the public good. In the following article, Rob Boston from Virginia takes up the cause. And Rob says, It's weird, but I sometimes think church-state conflict follows me even when I'm off the clock. And it happened again last week when my wife and I were vacationing in Virginia Beach. One morning at breakfast, my naturally gregarious wife fell into conversation with the man sitting at the table next to us. He turned out to be a teacher at a private religious school in West Virginia. We began discussing education policy and it wasn't long before he was expressing support for private school vouchers. I didn't want to get into an argument as I was preparing to dig into my pancakes, but there was one thing he said that I felt I couldn't let go. He asserted that people who choose to send their children to private schools are forced to pay for public schools they don't use, and he opined that this is unfair. To my mind, this is one of the worst arguments used by voucher boosters. They really ought to abandon it. A moment's thought demonstrates why they're wrong. Government services are designed to help everyone. They build a decent society for all of us. And as Americans, it's our civic duty to pitch in and help build a better society for our fellow citizens. You don't get a rebate for the services you don't use. It is selfish to suggest that you should. Let's say you prefer to buy books online and build an in-home library. You're still expected to pay taxes to support your local public library. Maybe you have your own swimming pool. Good for you, but the public pool at the nearby recreation centre will still get a chunk of your taxes. You may own a car and never ride a public bus, but you're still expected to pay taxes so those who do need buses can have access to them. Public education benefits everyone, whether you directly use it or not. In most parts of the country, public schools are funded by property taxes and every homeowner pays even those who have no children or whose children are grown. There's a simple reason for this. It's in society's interest that our children be educated and public schools are providing that for 90% of them and remain available for the other 10% whose parents have decided to educate them elsewhere. Public schools take on a daunting task, educating the the vast majority of our children no matter their race, economic status, sexual orientation or religion. By law, they serve all students, including those with special needs and who face language barriers. 
public schools, which are accountable to the people through democratically elected boards, focus on secular education, not imparting religion, religious doctrine. Private schools can say none of these things, and that's why public schools alone deserve public funding. We all have a stake in public education, whether we have children attending public schools or not. We will all be better off if there are more educated Americans to work towards improving our nation. When, people, when public schools succeed, we all succeed. That goal is only made more difficult when public schools funding is siphoned away through misguided voucher plans that deserve that serve a private and not a public interest. And those vouchers are that's very similar to what we do here in Australia by um, propping up uh, three separate school systems: the independent school system, the Catholic school system, and the public school system. And that's why so many of our public schools here in Australia are going without. And uh, you can just you can just ask <laughs> ask the local your local public school should be one that's accessible to all and that gives a bold standard education because it is for the good of our society, not just the good of one's individual small wealth. But uh, well, that you're listening to the dogs, we'll have a little bit of a break and then we'll be right back and Maddie's got some interesting material to talk about too. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. The Aged Action Group has gone digital to help stop the spread of the coronavirus, but we're still here. If you're over 50 years old and having problems with your housing, we can help. If you're having trouble paying the rent, problems with your retirement village manager, or concerned about your caravan park, give us a call on 1300 765 178. We can also help connect you with aged care services and emergency relief if you need it. Stay safe, everyone. Welcome back. You're listening to the DOGS program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. And now it's over to Maddie. Thank you so much, Dale. I have um, an interesting article by Diana Ravitch um, and it reads, Peter Green has written a powerful case against the argument of the school choice lobby, who insists that children should choose a school that affirms their parents' values. The choice lobby says that it causes conflict when students go to school with others who don't share their worldview and challenge their beliefs. Green refutes this assertion. The argument here, pushed daily on Twitter by Cato's Neil McCluskey, is that public schools leave people no choice but to be at each other's throats and that the system leaves no choice but to either ban or impose policies and ideas. Therefore, the argument goes, school choice offers a chance to make all the conflict go away. Folks over here can choose a school that actively pursues diversity and anti-racist policies, while folks over here can choose a school that actively blocks such policies. Allowing diverse school approaches will, the argument goes, somehow reduce the conflicts currently tearing at the social fabric of our country. <laughs> <laughs> so first, we get a school that separates from the original public district so that it can keep out of all sorts so it can keep out all sorts of diversity and anti-racist programs. But then that school splits over a conflict about whether or not to teach creationism. 
Then the creationism school splits over an argument about which books to ban from the school library. And then that school splits over policies regarding LGBTQI plus students. The continued spinning off of entities based on new policy disputes will be familiar to anyone who knows the Protestant church. Meanwhile, many parents will factor in location and student body demographics for their decisions. And of the many schools spun off to settle the various disputes, half will fold because they don't make enough money. In the end, well, if they don't like that policy, they'll be able to choose a school with which they agree will turn out to be a false promise. Some choices are not healthy. We have seen the use of school choice to avoid conflict before. After Brown versus Board of Education, lots of folks decided they had a problem sending their white children to school with black students. And they solved that conflict by creating schools that let them choose segregation. When it comes to the current CRT panic, there may be there may well be some schools that have gone a step too far with their anti-racist work, though, plot twist, those schools keep turning out to not be public ones, but an awful lot of the panic is fueled by folks opportunistically whipping up some good old-fashioned white outrage over encroaching blackness, and we've been here before. Some choices are not good for the country. We do not benefit from having a bunch of white kids taught that slavery wasn't so bad and the Civil War was just about states' rights. We do not benefit from having students taught that science isn't real. We do not benefit from having students taught that Trump is really still president and one-sixth was just some unruly tourists. And we so very much don't benefit as a society from schools that segregate both students and content based on race. Not all possible choices should be available. Bubbles do not banish conflict. I agree with the part of the premise that says more or less, holy crap, but we are spending a lot of time arguing bitterly and separating ourselves into chasm separated camps. <clears throat> what I don't get at all is how separating the children of these warring factions into their own separate education bubbles is going to help. How will, have been, how will having been immersed in nothing but the particular view of their parents' camp prepare them to be workers, neighbours and citizens in a society where other people with other views exist? Upon graduation, will they proceed to a college or trade school that is also designed to strictly fit with their parents' beliefs? And then will they search diploma in hand for employers who also embrace only the worldview that these well-bubbled citizens have been taught is the one true view? How does growing up in a bubble prepare you for life outside it, particularly if your bubble teaches things that are neither nuanced or accurate views? Green has much more to say about why it's wrong and unhealthy for society to encourage growing up in a bubble where the only people you meet agree with you. That's a very good point. It's It's... A large part of being socialised is going to school with people who are different than yourselves and you learn how to how to be a member of a community. And, um, yeah, it, being in an echo chamber benefits no one. And I'd argue there's no growth or learning to be had in an echo chamber. Definitely not. We'll have a quick break and then we'll be right back with more dogs. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools on 3CR. Have you ever had a diagnosis of breast cancer or a gynaecological cancer? Would you like to support other women as they go through their own cancer experience? Counterpart is a community-based service located in Melbourne. They support women right across Victoria who have been diagnosed with breast or a gynaecological cancer. Counterpart peer support volunteers have all had their own cancer experience. They provide a listening ear and emotional and practical support to other women affected by cancer. As a peer support volunteer, you'll receive six weeks training one day a week. The 2021 volunteer intake will begin training in August. Applications close on June 7. To apply or find out more, visit counterpart.org.au forward slash volunteer or call our resource centre on 1300 781 500. Counterpart, women supporting women with cancer. A 3CR supporter. 
Kafiyas are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafiyas, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafiya to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Where your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kufiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the DOGS program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. Uh, you're listening to the DOGS this Saturday afternoon on 3CR, 8.5am, 3CR digital and 3cr.org.au. And now I'll throw over to Sorrel. You've got some very interesting material there for us. Yeah, so this article is Australians United for Separation of Church and State. And it's talking about five cases in the US Supreme Court that could be used to barrel through the wall of separation. Although the Supreme Court's 2020-2021 term has ended, trepidation about cases in the pipeline for the next term is growing. The court has already agreed to hear a variety of highly charged cases during its 2021 to 2022 season. The other cases it may decide to hear could have detrimental results for church-state separation. Here are the top cases that Americans United is watching carefully. Carson v. Macon. This case deals with one of American United's bread and butter issues, school vouchers. Main school districts that don't operate their own secondary schools offer to pay students tuition at private schools so long as the private schools don't use the money for religious instruction and don't unlawfully discriminate. Yet a group of Maine parents wants to use funding from this voucher-like program to pay for religious education of their children at religious schools that have discriminatory policies. The court granted a review of this case. A bad ruling in this case could mean that states must include religious schools in voucher programs even when that funding is used for religious or discriminatory practices. We're all on the edge of our seats to see how the justices decide on this one. The next case is Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization. The court has also agreed to hear this case, which has been the focus of intense speculation by every legal reporter in the nation since it could overturn Roe v. Wade. While the case does not explicitly involve religion-based legal claims, religious motivations play a large role in anti-abortion legislation and the anti-abortion movement. A ruling in favour of this deeply restrictive Mississippi anti-abortion law at issue in the case would be another step toward theocratic control of American law. Dignity Health v. Minton. A Catholic hospital in California has cancelled Evan Minton's scheduled hysterectomy once it learned that he is a transgender man. In response to Minton's suit, Dignity Health raised a freedom of religion defence, arguing that it had a right to refuse to provide medical treatment that violates its religious beliefs. The court has not decided whether or not it will hear the case. But if it does, a ruling in favour of the Catholic hospital would have dangerous implications. With more and more hospitals around the country having a Catholic affiliation, Dignity Health is the fifth largest healthcare system in the nation. A ruling in Dignity's favour could give a substantial proportion of the country's hospital carte blanche to refuse to provide procedures they disapprove of for religious reasons. For example, some religiously affiliated hospitals refuse to perform tubal ligations in conjunction with caesarean sections or to terminate a pregnancy even when it's clear that the fetus has no chance of surviving and that the mother's life is in danger. 
A bad ruling here could even open the door for religiously affiliated hospitals to simply refuse to treat LGBTQ people based on purported religion-based right to discriminate. This is a prime example of when religious beliefs could be used acutely to do harm to others. Shirtleff v. City of Boston. The City of Boston, which allows private groups to request to fly a flag on a city-owned flagpole outside City Hall, rejected an application by Harold Shirtleff to fly the Christian flag. Shirtleff sued, making a freedom of speech argument, but federal trial and appellate courts ruled that flags on the pole are government speech, not private speech, so the city has the right to decide which flag it flies. The appellate court explained that flying the Christian flag on the city's flagpole could also violate the separation of church and state. And the court cited a friend of the court brief Americans United filed in the case. Should the Supreme Court grant review and rule in favour of Shirtleff, the decision could be another major blow to church-state separation. The last case that Americans United is keeping an eye on is the Roman Catholic Diocese of Albany v. Lacewell. New York requires employer-sponsored health insurance plans to cover medically necessary abortions, but provides a religious exemption to tax-exempt nonprofits that exist to inculcate religious values and primarily employ and serve people of their own religion. The limited scope of the exemption makes sense. A broader exemption would allow religious organizations to impose anti-abortion religious beliefs on people who do not share these beliefs. Yet the Diocese of Albany wants New York to expand the exemption to include all religious organizations, ultimately asking the court to overturn the precedent that makes it harder to use religion to abridge people's rights. Were the court to agree to hear this case and rule in favour of the diocese, religious organisations that employ an ideologically diverse array of people could force their religious beliefs on their employees, refusing to provide coverage for medically necessary abortions. There are other cases with church-state significance that Americans United is keeping an eye on too, such as the case FBI v. Fagaza, including FBI surveillance on individuals simply because they were Muslim. So the fight for church-state separation will be intense next term, but no matter how the odds are stacked, Americans United is ready to throw some punches. It's very interesting, isn't it? And it's, it's a very slippery slope, isn't it, once some um, religion becomes entangled with the state. And uh, this is when... Uh, what people assume are their rights start to get trampled on, including, you know, the right to a secular education. Anyway, you're listening to The Dogs on 3CR. We'll be right back after a short break. Well, brothers and sisters, what a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMARC. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 250 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminuaya Mawbohina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. And it's estimated that even the relatively small tactical-sized nuclear weapon dropped in Hiroshima released about a thousand times as much energy from the fires that it started as from that already big explosion itself. 
And the average size of the nuclear weapon in the global arsenal today is not 15 kilotons as in Hiroshima, but more like 200 kilotons. So even a regional war, a limited regional war in one part of the world, um, such as between India and Pakistan or involving Israel's nuclear weapons in the Middle East, would have global consequences because this smoke that would be generated by burning cities. So the climate scientists who've done this work have really drawn the analogy that these are not weapons in any legitimate conceivable sense that can differentiate between a combatant and a civilian, that can be confined in their effects in space or time. These are really global suicide bombs that we simply can't use. 3CR Radiothon, community-powered radio. To donate, call 03-9419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. And welcome back to the Dogs program. You listen to the Dogs on 3CR. And next, I've got an article by Trevor Cobold uh, from the SOS website, the Save Our Schools website. It says, OECD says the publication of school results has failed to improve school performance. Test-based accountability has been a key education policy in most OECD countries, including Australia, for many years. It was believed that publication of school test results would put pressure on schools and teachers to increase student achievement. A new OECD study shows this policy is an abject failure. It found no evidence that test-based accountability has affected education outcomes in higher income countries. Our results suggest that across most OECD countries, test-based accountability does not relate to academic achievement, nor has a substantial impact on education inequality for the subject of mathematics. With some small variations, we achieved similar results for the subjects of reading and science. The findings have important implications for policymakers in high-income countries. The intensive competition across schools that test-based accountability promotes could be disruptive in some educational contexts, producing unintended consequences in school communities. The fact that these reforms do not seem to render the expected results implies important questions about the convenience of these policies. The study carried out a cross-country statistical analysis based on four cycles of PISA data from 2006 to 2015, covering 63 countries, including 42 higher-income countries. It measured test-based accountability by the proportion of students in each country attending schools whose test results were publicly published. It included Australia, where NAPLAN results for all schools, except K-2, senior secondary and special schools, have been published on the MySchool website since 2010. The study also found no association between school autonomy, accountability and education, educational outcomes. Accountability measures have not made any difference to school performance, no matter what level of school autonomy was adopted by countries nor did the study find any relationship between school autonomy and education outcomes. We do not find any association between school autonomy in curriculum and assessment or teacher management and academic results. As the study notes, this finding contradicts that of recent studies using PISA data. The study did find that school accountability measures had positive effects on school performance in mathematics and science in low and medium income countries. However, the results did not hold up after taking account of the socioeconomic status of students. Moreover, the improvement in school performance was offset by increased educational inequality. This study raises serious questions for Australians, but for Australian education policy makers about the value of continuing to publish school results on the MySchool website. MySchool was launched with great fanfare and promises of better performance by the then Minister for Education, Julia Gillard, who said the new era of transparency will drive vital improvements in school education and deliver an education revolution to all Australian schools. 
far from delivering a revolution, since then, NAPLAN results have largely stagnated across the tested subjects and year levels. The publication of school results has been an unmitigated disaster. Instead of forcing improvements in school performance, it has harmed the education of a generation of Australian students in many ways. It has narrowed the curriculum, encouraged teaching to the test, unfairly stigmatised disadvantaged schools and their students, made it more difficult for disadvantaged schools to retain high-quality teachers, discouraged cooperation and collaboration between schools and teachers, and increased social segregation and inequity in education. Published school results are also an inaccurate and misleading measure of school quality. This is because of differences in school composition and because many other factors outside the control of schools affect school results, including student absenteeism, student turnover, funding, parent involvement in learning, and the proportion of students receiving private tutoring. There are also significant statistical errors on school test results, especially in the case of smaller schools. The new OECD study indicates that Australia should stop the publication of the results of individual schools to end the harm they do. Accountability of education systems and governments for school results can be ensured without publishing the results of individual schools. It can be done by publishing the number of schools whose average score falls within different test score ranges. This information could be summarised in a bar chart for each strand tested in each year level for both literacy and numeracy. This would provide enough information for the public to hold governments and education departments publicly accountable for improving school results across the system. And it's very true that every, a lot of people understand that um, some students are just told not to come to school on those days when uh, the NAPLAN test is on because they don't want the school averages to be brought down by any um, performance that's not hot high in the high range so obviously they're not really a great a, a real true indicator of exactly what's going on within the school community anyway but uh we'll have a quick break now and we'll be right back you're listening to the dogs on 3cr we've got a common enemy the same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the park hotel is the same government that's going for our rights trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have and so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You know, it's quite confusing, the cultural heritage laws in this country, and that is of extreme concern to our people across this country. And, you know, not only the Japarong trees, there's Duke and Gorge, and there are a number of other sacred areas of extreme significance to our peoples across the country that are being, you know, because of the cultural heritage laws that are in place are, you know, not actually protecting our heritage at all. 3CR Radiothon, community-powered radio. To donate, call 03-9419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. And welcome back. You're listening to The Dogs on 3CR, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. And now we've got an article about uh, how students are responding to uh, COVID and you know how it's affecting their mental health. But um, I'll leave that to Sorrel. Sorrel, you've got some information about that. Yeah, Dale. So um, students are actually seeking no questions asked mental health days to try and ease the COVID-19 stress. 
senior students are calling for the right to take one or two no questions asked mental health days each term and want the number of hours of VCE class time they must attend cut to help ease with what they warn is a mental health crisis in schools. Peak student body, the Victorian Student Representative Council, has urged State Education Minister James Merlino to do more to ease the mental burden of students who have BCE studies thrown into chaos by unpredictable moves in and out of lockdown this last year. Key amongst their recommendations is lowering the attendance pass rate for VCE subjects from the current 50 hours per unit. Doing so would let students take more time out from study to safeguard their mental health, Student Executive Advisory Committee member Lin Dang said. Students can't choose what days they have bad mental health, the Year 11 student from Maidstone in Melbourne's West said. We get to take days off when we are physically sick, so it seems unfair that taking a day off and taking care of yourself when your mental health is bad should be something that's not within the rules because of the attendance rate. The Student Representative Council, comprised of elected students from across the state, has also called for a limit on the number of SACs, school-assessed coursework, a school can set in a week, arguing that the all-important assessments are too often clustered together. Council Executive Committee member Grace, a Year 12 student from Swan Hill in Northern Victoria, said the council had heard reports of students having as many as nine SACs scheduled in a week. You just feel like you can't study adequately for each one, so you're not prepared for any of them, rather than perhaps having one each week that you can really focus on and make sure you're doing your best, said Grace, who did not want to give her surname. Along with exams, SACs are a major component of BCE assessment. The council has also asked Mr Molino to reinstate last year's adjusted BCE study designs, which had their content scaled back following the move to remote learning. The Student Executive Advisory Committee met virtually with Mr Merlino last week to make their case for further help for the VCA class of 2021. Lynn said the effects of lockdowns and unpredictable moves between face-to-face and remote learning had accumulated over the past 18 months, leaving many students in a mentally vulnerable state. Over time, from last year with the long lockdown to this year and the mini snap lockdowns, it's just taking a very big mental toll on students. Just adapting from classroom to online learning, that's quite taxing, she said. We wanted schools and the education department to take this into consideration, especially for VCE students completing their year 12 studies. In response, Mr Merlino, he said he knew how challenging the pandemic had been for Victorian students especially those in their final years of school. He said the government was working closely with the Student Representative Council to make sure students have the support they need, but did not commit to adopting any of the specific proposals. Rules around attendance pass rates and the timing of SACs are set by schools. We want all Year 12 students to reach their full potential, and I encourage any students who are facing challenges to have a conversation with their teachers and school leaders who can make adjustments to school-based assessments and provide vital mental health support to keep students healthy, Mr Molino said. Last week, the Victorian Curriculum and Assessment Authority confirmed that all VCE and VCAL students will receive individual consideration of educational disadvantage this year in a repeat of last year's process. The general achievement test was also postponed for a second time and will be sat on the 12th of August. Yeah, it's uh, certainly affecting students. This COVID uh, period has has affected students in many, many ways. And the mental health, I guess, is just uh, yet another way students are affected. But we'll come back after this break and we'll talk about uh, how it's affected uh, students who who come from low socioeconomic status backgrounds. Uh, you're listening to the dogs on 3CR. You can see that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people, and the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion. And it began 250 years ago this year. Now we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda, and race hatred indoctrination. Now it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land, brutally, 
We might be oppressed, but we understand what freedom is. And we fight for it every day. And we resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism is going to get knocked out cold by about mid this year. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. And welcome back to the Dogs program on 3CR. Yes, we were just talking about uh, some of the effects that um, COVID is having on students' mental health. Uh, and the students themselves are asking for no questions asked mental health days. At least the students in Victoria are. And, and well done for you know, putting their hands up and asking for it. It's hopefully the adults will um, actually listen. But um, unfortunately, you know, there's other ways students are affected by COVID and that includes uh, the remote learning gap. And uh, yeah, jo Jordan Baker's written an article about students needing $1.1 billion to close the remote learning gap. Disadvantaged students slipped six weeks further behind their peers. While schools were delivering lessons remotely, a report has found, and more than a billion dollars worth of intensive tuition is needed to help them catch up. Modelling by the Grattan Institute, a think tank, estimated the wide achievement gap between advantaged and disadvantaged students grew at triple the usual rate during remote schooling with surveys of teachers showing their disadvantaged students learned 25 to 50% less than they would have in class. The report's author, Grattan Institute School Education Fellow Julie Sonneman, estimated that over two months of remote learning, the achievement gap between disadvantaged students and their peers would have widened by 7% or an additional six weeks. The Grattan Institute says federal government says the federal government should invest more than one billion in helping students disadvantaged by COVID-19. In New South Wales, where remote learning ran for for seven weeks, the gap would be slightly less at 5.1 weeks or six percent, while in Victoria, where it ran for nine weeks, the gap would be eight percent or six and a half weeks. Before remote schooling, there was about seven years difference in capabilities within year nine at a typical school. And after COVID-19, the spread will be even larger, the report said. Dr. Sonneman said international research showed intensive tuition in groups of between two and five was the most effective way of helping students catch up and suggested Australia use that method to focus on the 25% most disadvantaged students. She called on the government to invest $1.13 billion in small group tutoring, saying short sessions three to four times a week over 12 weeks could increase student learning by an extra five months. Tutors could be drawn from casual teaching staff, teaching assistants, pre-service teachers and university graduates, creating extra work in a difficult jobs climate. Younger people would also be more likely to spend the money stimulating the economy. There's a lot of money going out the door in fiscal stimulus, Dr Sonneman said. We know these students are a group that's been affected. 
there are tangible solutions you could provide. Why would you not put money towards this group? If all goes well, it would help make even bigger inroads into the disadvantaged gap. We know that gaps in learning compound over time. This is a real opportunity to trial something that has potentially really big benefits for a cohort that really needs it. Money should also be invested in widening successful literacy and numeracy programs, bringing the total spend to $1.25 billion by the federal government over the next six months, Dr. Sonneman said. Craig Peterson from the New South Wales Secondary Principals Council said the idea was worth looking into was worth looking at, but equity was complex and logistics would be difficult. For example, some classes, such as kindergarten and year seven, may have been hit harder than others. We absolutely need to be supporting our disadvantaged kids, he said. We also have to make sure we support our full range of students. In response to the calls for funding, a spokesman, spokesperson for Education Minister Dan Tian said advice from health experts was schools were safe to remain open during the pandemic. Our government was consistent that we should follow the expert medical advice and keep schools open, he said. State and territory governments made the decision to close their schools or keep them open. So, in other words, that's Dan Tian saying that, nope, the federal government will not, uh, will not agree to any extra funding because you stayed open when we told, you, you closed when we told you that you could stay open. And... You know, that, again, that's just showing how little regard school communities and teachers uh, have in the government's estimation because, you know, teachers aren't even considered high priority for getting the vaccine, yet they come across literally hundreds of students from who, who knows how many people are in those students' households and who, know, who knows where each household member has been and coming who they've come in contact with throughout the day, throughout the week. And teachers have been exposed to this the entire time. It's mind-boggling, you know, just doesn't bode well. Uh, so, you know, that's having the, the federal education minister turn around and say, um, well, we said you could stay open, but you chose to stay shut, uh, just means that no we are not going to contribute any money to trying to to fund this gap which you know i suppose you could say is to be expected but it's still pretty sad anyway we'll finish off with a good news story uh this week uh we'll have a quick break and then we'll be back because maddie has a great state school you're listening to the dogs on 3cr Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State College. schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. State Sunshine schools. North Primary School. They're really school. concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. You've got, gee, like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the Outdoor school. play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the when weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long don't necessarily start off with a Positive great Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools.
Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And our great state school for this week is McKinnon Secondary College. Um, McKinnon Secondary College is a year 7 to 12 co-ed school with a student population of over 2,000. The college was founded in 1954 in the southeastern Melbourne suburb of McKinnon. It has developed a proud reputation for academic excellence and instrumental music performance. The college is consistently one of the best performing non-selective government schools in Victoria. There are steadily more applications for entry to year seven than places available. In recent years, there have been 100 more applications for year seven than places available. Most students who attend McKinnon aspire to university. Over 50% of their students participate in the instrumental music program. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about their ethos. A McKinnon education aims to enhance the intellectual, physical, social and emotional development of all students and to develop students' abilities. They strive to maintain a positive, caring and safe learning environment in which all students are provided with the opportunity to achieve success. These prospects for success are provided within a challenging, comprehensive curriculum and an extensive co-curricular program. The college actively promotes a culture that encourages and celebrates the pursuit of excellence, values and respects individual diversity and encourages participation by all members of the community. Students are encouraged to take pride in themselves, their community, their uniform and the college. Student achievements are regularly and formally recognized and celebrated in college publications at formal assemblies on this website, uh, the My School website, and at the annual presentation night. Uh, Let's talk about their curriculum. Students study a comprehensive core curriculum in years seven to 10. The Enhanced Learning in Mathematics and Science program is an enrichment option for selected students in years seven to 10. In years nine and 10, the core curriculum is complemented by a range of elective units. Rich tasks such as Tournament of Minds and Year Eight Survivor promote student engagement and the development of resilience, problem solving and collaboration skills. Year nine is enriched by the Brief Yet Thorough Empirical Studies, BITES program. Successful Year 10 students are encouraged to select VCE subjects. Students in the senior school can choose from an extensive range of VCE studies and can participate in the VCE enhancement program or undertake selected university enhancement subjects. Um, In terms of co-curricular activities, the college offers an extensive co-curricular program which promotes leadership, cooperation and teamwork. This program includes academic challenges, performing arts and sport. going to you with some facts and figures from the my school website there are 2221 students at mckinnon college and this is a school where the wealthy have worked out that public education is much better valued than private education the school's ixia value is well above average at 1118 it's huge a whopping 52% of the pupils come from homes whose family income is in the upper quartile Uh, 32% of the pupils come from homes whose family income is in the second quartile. 13% of the pupils come from homes whose family income is in the third quartile. And only 3% come from homes whose family income is in the lowest quartile. Isn't that interesting? They really have figured out that public education is a good idea, the wealthy. Um, Finances. The Australian government pays $5.1 million dollars in recurrent grants. The Victorian government pays $19.9 million in recurrent grants um, and fees and private sources account for almost $5 million, but it only costs 
$13,566 to educate a child at this much sought after school. And that is a bargain. Um, we've established that um, to get a, a gold standard education um, is around, for a senior in, in high school, is around $15,000. And they're doing it for um, 13566 So that's an absolute bargain for the taxpayer. Yeah. Um, the capital expenditure pales in comparison with that of wealthy private schools, only $2.4 million. But there is a school building fund which raises $70,000 per annum. Um, yeah, it's interesting. The NAPLAN results are above average in numeracy only. And this is a much sought after school in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. Um, and next week, we'll look at the nearby college at Bentley. Hops, even a jump away. Yeah. Well, congratulations to McKinnon Secondary College. You're, you're our great state school of the week. Um, sounds like they're doing a great job on, um, you know, for a bargain. So well done. And uh, we've run out of time. Uh, we've come to the end of the dogs program for this week. But so you can find out more about us by going to our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Um, or you, if you'd like, you can always uh, call the station and uh, leave, if you're a member of a school community and like us to have a look at uh, your great state school, uh, just give 3CR a call on 94198377 and leave a message for the dogs. Say, hey, we'd like uh, you to have a look at our school, which is blah, 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 and uh, we'll look into it for you. But um, thanks for being with us today and uh, we will hopefully join you again next week. But until then, it's bye for now. Yeah. <laughs>